Exodus chapter 20. We continue our study, and we're satisfied that as we continue doing what we've been doing now for some time, and that is moving through the book of Genesis and now through the book of Exodus, we are absolutely certain that God is intertwining in these verses and the subject matter we're dealing with. He's intertwining there the subject of revival in our need of God. We are learning how that the ancient Hebrew people needed God and how that it was He who formed that nation down in Egypt and then brought them up out of Egypt and put them on the way to Canaan land and continued to show Himself in theophany along the way. That is, God, the invisible God, making an appearance in different ways while he was here, in the form of a cloud as he led the children of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness, and then a pillar of fire at night. God made his presence known among the people. And God's word to them continually was, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And that is a statement that is repeated by Simon Peter in the New Testament. And it's a statement that is made to the church. It's made to the people of God in our day. Be ye holy, for I am holy. God has not called us to uncleanness, but He has called us to holiness. God is not saying, muddle your way through this sorry world the best way you can. But He said, I'll go before you, and I'll lead the way. You just line up with me because two can't walk together except they be agreed. And so if you'll come, come under my authority and my lordship and obey my commandments, then he says, you and I will get along fine. And we'll show this world what it means to walk with God and what a difference that it can make in your life. doesn't promise that we won't have troubles but it does promise us that we will have Mr. Know-it-all himself with us, God himself who can take care of everything and bring all under his rule and his care. He can even make you enemies to be at peace with you. It's amazing what God is able to do for those people who will walk with him. And so this is some of the things that we've been seeing take place with the Hebrew people. And those people who would not uh, submit themselves to God's rule and His will for the Hebrew people and the like. God had other ways of dealing with them, and He would uh, He would overrule them, and He would overpower them, and He would overcome them, and He would use the Hebrew people uh, even at war and the like. God says, "If you want peace, I'll give you peace. If you want war, then I'll give you war. Whichever one you want." And uh, so we've seen God work, working among His people and with His people. He's teaching them. He is training them. That's the purpose of us here today, one of the purposes. That is for me to admonish you, a word in the Scriptures that means to instruct you. We've got to learn. We need to learn how to be disciples. We need to learn how to be Christians. And we, this is an ongoing learning process. We are perpetual students of the Holy Word of God. 
and God is teaching and training us all along the way. The truth of the matter is, now this is technical and this is specific, but the truth of the matter is, we're not Christian yet. Because to be Christian means to be Christ-like. And I'll tell you, we haven't got there yet, friends. This is an ongoing process. God is at work in us. We are already God's people. We are already God's found sheep, yes. But we are not yet exactly what God has desired and determined for us. And that is to be like Christ. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. And that's why all things are working together for our good to bring us into that image of His Son. Because God the Father is not satisfied with anything less than perfection. And the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world and He was born of a virgin. He was born without the sinful nature. He was born with a human nature, but not a sinful nature. He was the perfect one, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. That's how the Scriptures describe our Lord. Then He lived a life without sin. He never committed a single sinful act never had a sinful thought or entertained a sinful thought, never spoke a sinful word. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. He is everything that the Father expected Him and required of Him to be in order to qualify to be a substitute for the people that God chose to be His elect before the foundation of the world. And the Scriptures goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 1 that uh, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of, world, of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Listen to this. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. God has adopted us into His family. We are now part of His family. Jesus Christ is His only begotten Son. There's not another like Him. He is the only begotten Son. But God says, I love Him so much, I'm going to make a whole lot of them that's got the same face He has, that looks like He does, has the same manner, has the same love, and the same kind of hatred for things that God don't love. And so, this is God's will for everybody He saves. He don't save you and leave you to yourself. He saves you and continues the molding process in our lives. That's the reason we have troubles and trials and heartaches because God is fashioning us. He's molding us into the image of Christ. Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows. And so it's God's will for me to be a man of sorrows. Jesus Christ 
stood against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so it's God's will that you and I stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus Christ came out from among them to be separate. So it's God's will for you and I to come out from among them and be separate. We will never reach that perfect image of Jesus Christ in our lives until we are glorified in the presence of God. But... He says again to us while we're on our journey, just like Israel was on their journey to Canaan land, we're on our journey to the new Jerusalem, and while we're on our journey, God said, follow me, and I'll lead the way. And I will, I will work on you. The Holy Spirit in you will be the sanctifier. And every time you go the wrong direction, He'll convict you of it to bring you back. He'll make life much more difficult for you. But he said, when you go in the right direction, you'll still be in a difficult way, but I will be with you, and I will help you, and I will give you strength. I will give you strength from heaven, from me, my strength. You operate according then to my wisdom, and I'll show you which way to go. I'll show you what to do. I'll show you. I will teach you how to behave. And so I will be your teacher, and I will be with you every step of the way. And when it's all said and done, once you have gone over these hard hills and these difficult valleys and continued those curved, curvy roads that in that narrow way, making your way to the city of God, one of these days you'll see that blaze of glory up before you and I will catch you up into my presence and so shall ye ever be with the Lord. I'll tell you whether we know it or not, we're on the winning side. God's not going to forsake His people. He has never been known to abandon His own. He does not do it. And He's not like a lot of people who says, Oh, I'm your buddy. But you know how it goes. As soon as you come to the hard place in your life, they check out on you. You know that? But I'll tell you, no matter how hard it gets, God will be right there with you. He'll be standing with you. And the only reason you and I mess up during those particular times is because we don't look to Him. We think we know how to handle it ourselves. And, and or in other words, we will do it in a way that violates Scripture. And, uh, and what does that do to us? Just makes matters worse for us. Instead of things getting worse and worse for me, I had much rather it be getting better and better for me. The fight's not going to stop. I'll have to still struggle in this world. I'll still experience pain and a broken heart. I will experience rejection. Our Lord Jesus experienced all of that while He was here. And He somewhat blazed the trail for us because He knew we've got that's the road we'll have to take. But praise God that we are still the winner, whether we feel it or not, whether the, the world raises our hand and recognizes us, that has nothing to do with it. The only thing that matters is to hear these words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's all that matters. If I can just hear it from my Lord, Amen. that's all that matters. Praise God. I want you to look at this chapter 20. I have had to become a defender of the faith when it comes to the law of God. Only criminals hate laws. 
If you hate laws, it's because you like to do the things that laws forbid. Criminals hate laws. And this world is eat up with criminality. And our penitentiaries and jails are overflowing. You don't believe that, ask the sheriff. They're overflowing. Doing what you want to do and being what you want to be is the popular thing. All you got to do is look at a person in the car over next to you and he's ready to raise his gun at you or to ram you or to pull over to the side of the road and motion for you. And I'm constantly getting that vulgar hand sign that they like to hand out nowadays on the highways. Because as an old man now, I don't go as fast as I used to. I've slowed down a lot, you know. And I'll tell you, that guy behind me hates my guts for it. He don't like it. He's in a hurry. He's got, he got fish to fry. He's got other things to do, and I'm in the way. I pulled up to a red light in LaGrange some time ago, and there was a car, two cars in front of me, and we had to stop, and, and he, we were actually in the turning to the right lane, and so it was a yield lane for us. And uh, there was an elderly man, I guess, and his wife in the car in the front, and he sat there a little bit too long for the guy in the car behind him. And a guy hit his horn and all, just kept hitting his horn, and that didn't work. And the old man and the old lady, you know, they were kind of looking, you know, which, what, what to do, and, and just waiting. And then finally the guy got out of his car and went around over there where they were, and he said, Man, you can go! And I, I, I know that one day I'm going to get the same kind of treatment. I've already got the hand signs and the like. And, uh, but that's, that's the way people are. That's the natural man. That's the flesh. That's the fruit of the fall in Adam. And everybody's got that. And nobody here need say, Brother Tommy, I don't ever feel that kind of stuff in me. I know better than that. Sometimes, and I think it's commendable to say, when, you, when you're not showing it, but it is in there, because we've got that old sinful nature in there, and God don't convert that old sinful nature. It's still there. It's part of the training process. It's part of the learning process. We learn to fight battles by fighting our own self. The first mark of an individual who becomes a disciple, Jesus said, deny yourself. That's the first thing. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That's the three things. But the first one is denying yourself. And when you set into doing that, you've got a fight on your hand. You've got a struggle that's going to take place. But I'll say to you, the best thing any of us can do is when we surrender to the law of the land. When we, we don't have to worry then. We can drive past the state trooper without putting your brake on. And, and you can go into a place of business without worrying about the laws fixing to catch you to do, doing something wrong. You're not going in there for that. You're going to pay for what you get. You're not going to try to steal it. You're not going to try to shoplift. You're not going to try to break in line. You're not going to be uh, hateful to someone else. 
No, you're going to... Christianity is something that goes with you everywhere you go. It crosses state lines when you go on vacations and the like. And and uh, you don't take vacations from God. You you take the Lord with you. And 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 it's still prayer time as far as you're concerned. And it's still time to read the scriptures and to bathe yourself in the cleansing word of God and the precious blood of Christ. It's still a time to dress like a like a holy person. Like I mean, God is concerned about everything about my life. And so I ought to be concerned about everything about my life. My behavior, my conversation, the places I go, the things I do, all of that's part of Christianity, and this is what God is teaching us along the way. Now I'm 72 years old, and I'm nearer home than I was yesterday, and I'm getting closer and closer and closer. And I'll tell you, I'm so glad that God kept me from kicking out 50 years ago. I'm glad He's kept me all the way. Every day my Savior leads me. These are the old hymns we sing. Let's read it. Look at it. Exodus 20 and verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Then he gives the first commandment. He's got two tables of stone that these are going to be printed on, four on one and six on the other. The first four concerns man's responsibility to God. The second table, consisting of six commandments, concerns God, man's uh, responsibility to man. So look at it. The first four concerns God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's number one. Number two, which is actually a continuation of number one. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And there's a reason that he is saying don't make graven images. That doesn't mean God is against sculpture work or art or that God is against paintings and the like. But the next verse tells what he's talking about. Verse 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. The third commandment concerning our relationship to God, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. I'm interested in, in really getting into that later. I can't today. God's name is so abused, taken so lightly, used in filthy jokes and in, in cussing your neighbor out. And it's, it's abused in so many different ways, changed, even applied to imposters. There are people 
who think they're God, or at least they try to come across as God. God is very, very sensitive about his name. Very sensitive. I heard R.C. Sproul say one time, he said, my, he said, somebody call me Dr. Sproul. It's P-R-O-U-L. He said, it's not Sproul. It's Sproul. I guess the U is silent. He said, it's Sproul. And he said, it offends me. I like for my name to be, to be pronounced right. Well, he ought to be named McElroy. Then he'll find out, I got used to it. <laughs> People, to this very day, all these years, that's McElroy, McElroy, McLeary. I mean, I promise you, those are names that some people have called us. But all you got to do is look at the spelling. But anyway, God wants people to reverence His name, to respect His name, to almost bring it to a holy hush to speak so kindly and tenderly when you're using His name. I've heard preachers, and I, I hate this, if I have ever been guilty of it, I never want to be guilty of it again. But I've heard preachers in pulpits preaching and say, my God, not calling upon the Lord, but using it in an, an abusive way. That is not to be done. God honors His Word above His own name. But that says something also about His name. How high the name is. And how respectful that God expects every creature to be toward that name. Can you imagine people who have lived their lives profaning the name of the Lord and then having to stand before that same God at the judgment. Why don't you use that D word with your mother's name or your daddy's name or your grandma or your grandpa or your little child? No, you wouldn't do that. Why would you do that with your God? We'll get there later, but I just thought I'd stop and give you a preview. Verse 8 is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Then he's going to explain. Verse 9, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day, now for the Jew that was Saturday, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. The word Sabbath does not mean Sabbath. The word Sabbath means rest. It is the rest day. And so for the Jews, that was Saturday. And for the church, now it is Sunday. We move from the last day of the week to the first day of the week. And we do that because the Apostle Paul referred to the saints gathering on the first day of the week. He said, bring your offerings at that time. And so, and again, we'll look at this a little bit more. But our Lord rose on the first day of the week. The Holy Ghost came to empower the church on the first day of the week. And so it's believed in the first century. The book of Acts itself is a book of transition. 
And so it is a moving from the way the Jews did things to the way the church will do things, which is made up of both Jew and Gentile. And so it's a transition book. And so we move in the first century from Saturday to Sunday. I think the Seventh-day Adventist people are all wrong. I think they're off on that. And I've heard it said, I don't know if it's true or not, but I've heard it said that to them, or at least to some of them, I won't say all of them, I don't know, but I've heard it said that they believe moving the Sabbath, or the Sabbath, yeah, the Sabbath day from Saturday to Sunday is the mark of the beast. I don't know if they all believe that or not. I don't know if any of them believe it. I heard somebody say it, okay? Verse 10, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do, not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days, see it goes all the way back to creation. This is not something new, but now it is put in writing for the Hebrew people. And if it started back in creation, why, why do we think that we have any right to not treat a Sabbath day that is a day once a week in such a way that is to honor, to worship, to fix our full attention upon God? Started at creation. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, and rested the Sabbath day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He's, he sanctified. He made, it, it's a sacred day. Verse 12, we begin with the second table of the law. Man's responsibility to man. And here's the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Number six, thou shalt not kill. Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And number ten, thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. This makes up what we call today the moral law of God. The moral law of God. There are other laws that God brings the Hebrew people under that don't apply today. And those other laws are sacrificial laws, civil laws, dietary laws, just different kinds of laws that God was teaching the Hebrew people how to live under obedience to Him and not be like all the other nations of the world. He said, I want you people to be distinct. I want you to be different and the other nations to look at you and see the difference that I've made in you. Because I chose you. Deuteronomy 7, he speaks of that in detail. I chose you. And he said, the reason I chose you is simply because I love you. Yeah. 
He said, I love you, and that's why I chose you. And so God willed to love these people, the Hebrew people, above all the people of the earth. They became His special people. And so these people were finally going to be the ones who would become the witness to the Gentile nations to tell them of this true and living God, of His faithfulness. And they had, they had this mark of circumcision, even a physical mark that showed that they belonged to God. They belonged to someone else. They understood that they were God's possession. They understood that they had certain rights and privileges that other nations didn't have. They understood that they were chosen, that God didn't choose any other nation. America is not God's elect nation. Russia is not God's elect nation. Any of the Islamic nations, none of those are God's elect nation. God's elect nation is Israel. It was back then, it is to this day. And God made promises to their fathers Beginning with Abraham, he made promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, right down the line. He made promises to them. And he said, you're going to be my special people forever. And I'm going to deal with you. Because I know there's going to be times that you're going to go astray. That you're going to disobey me. But I've got it laid up for you. I know how to work with you. I know what to do to you to get you humble again. And to get you crying out to me again. If it takes 70 years of captivity for that southern kingdom, if it takes, uh, there in Babylon, if it takes, uh, years of captivity for the northern kingdom in Assyria, God said, I will do whatever is necessary to be done to make you humble, to break you, and cause you to be willing to be my people, to walk in my way, and to do what I want you to do. Your Messiah will come. And you know where He'll come from? From your nation. I'll bring Him down. I'll bring Him along. He will be part of that chosen seed. And Jesus is even called that elect stone, that elect apostle. God chose our Lord Jesus for that special purpose of coming into this world to be our sacrifice for sin. And so the Lord Jesus, John 1.11 said, He came to His own, and His own received Him not. They said, crucify Him. That's what they finally said, crucify Him. So then, there, there, we, the Bible, I'm telling you, when the Word of God, if, it, if the Word of God is going to talk about any one of us, call us by name. If it was going to do that, if the Word of God was not yet complete, it is, but if it was not yet complete and God was going to put our names in there, you know what God would do? He'd tell the truth about every one of us. Doesn't make any difference how much He loves you. Doesn't make any difference if He calls you His special one. When He paints the picture of you in the Scriptures, it's warts and all. Warts and all. Abraham was not a perfect man. Abraham disobeyed God. Abraham paid the price. He paid, he had the consequences to disobedience. 
But Abraham was a friend of God. Abraham belonged to God and God protected him and watched over him and guided him and directed him. Abraham, the Bible said, believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He at least believed God and he put forth an effort when God said, leave Ur the Chaldees, leave Mesopotamia, leave the Fertile Crescent and go to a land where I will show you and give to you. He said, yes, sir. And that's exactly what he did. How young he was in the faith at that particular time, I don't exactly know. But I do know that when you believe God and you embrace God, it changes your life. Abraham didn't do everything right, but God had a rod for every time that he didn't do everything right. And he did whatever he had to do to be his father and to show his love to him by straightening him out all along the way. He was not about to allow Abraham to grow up to be a big baby or to pout or to be a rebel. He's molding and fashioning him. Same for Isaac, same for Jacob, same for Simeon, Judah, all of them, all of those sons of Jacob. We've seen their man's side. We've seen their sinful side in our studies already. But God just didn't let them go on with it and get away with it because they were His special people. And He wanted them to be living testimonies to others of Himself. Reflect me. That's what God says to us when it comes to our behavior. He says, reflect me. Let let them see me in you. Now I'm fixing to close. And it's going to be a long time, no doubt, in this chapter. Because I'm going to take my time. And one reason I'm going to do it because I'm fed up with folks saying there's no place in the church for the Ten Commandments. And there's no place on the court wall for the Ten Commandments and all of this. This is the foundational truth that tells us who God is and the kind of God that He is. As a matter of fact, the title of this I call it Because of Who I Am. Because of Who I Am. That's what I call this because God says this is what I want you to do because this is how I think. This is my character. This is my manner. This is the way that I am. This, my name, my name, and we're going to get into that name. Yahweh, Jehovah. This, this is, this is my name forever. We saw that in Exodus 3. This is my name for all generations. That's the great name of God. And in the Old Testament, it is written, L-O-R-D in all caps. So his name is Yahweh. His name is Jehovah. His name is Lord. And all of them has to do with the same thing. It speaks of his eternality, the aseity of God, the doctrine of aseity in the scriptures that speak of, of God's otherness And the fact that God, as a matter of fact, in all of these commandments, 
we can see the attributes of God coming out as far as His character, the kind of being that He is. And we'll, we want to get into all of these, Lord willing, in days to come. But God says, I want you to do this because this, this, is, this is me. This is, this is God. And if God is immutable, if God does not ever change in nature and the like, who is anybody today to say the moral law has no place in the church? The moral law certainly does. Yes, the dietary laws that we're going to read about much later, they're out of force. Thank the Lord. I like to eat a catfish every once in a while. And pork and ham and all of that. Well, they couldn't do it. But at the same time, let me say this. I wrote it down because I want to make sure I said it. No, I ain't going to save it. You and I ought to be concerned. I don't have any problems at all with a preacher today taking one of those commandments and preaching it today because it's still in force. I heard Bob Doom at Faith Baptist Church in Gainesville at a camp meeting where Brother Edgar Thomas was there many years ago. Bob Doom stood up and he preached, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And he used Exodus 20 to do it. I, I believe to this very day, Brother Doug, God don't want us committing adultery. Thou shalt not steal. I believe that's true to this day. Our Lord Jesus preached some of those commandments in His Sermon on the Mount. That's New Testament. That's right. And I got friends. I got good friends. And I count them friends. But I think they're wrong. They say the whole law of Moses is one unit. That includes the moral law. And so we shouldn't use that today. But I, as respectfully as I can, disagree. I'm going to keep preaching it because I believe it's part of it. And as far as I know, you people believe this as well. We kind of hold somewhat to that, what is it, 1689 Philadelphia Confession. And that's part of it. Susan and I are reading back through that again right now. We've been waiting on another book to get to us. We're going to start on Jonathan Edwards' Religious Affections. If we can, we're going to give it a shot. That man, he chokes me to death sometimes. But praise God, I know he... I wouldn't be surprised. I've heard men say, men, men of the Scripture say, Jonathan Edwards was probably the only real theologian that America ever produced or ever come out of America. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that man was studying Hebrew, Greek, and Latin when he was four years old. He was a genius, an absolute genius. Went to, was it Princeton University when he was, what, 13? 13 years old or something. And then one day they called him there to be the, profe- uh, to be the dean uh, there at Princeton. Of course, he died shortly after, about a month later. Was it smallpox or something like that? See, that was a different day back in that day. God help us get back to the spirit of the day when as far as education and the like was concerned, the most important thing was the Word of God. 
and the will of God. Thank you, Father, for the word today. I believe I need to stop. Word. Lord, please help me to do justice with this as I try to teach it. Bless the people, Lord. I don't want to just take up space, just take up another hour of teaching, preaching, or whatever. I, I want us, Lord, to get it. I want us to get some help here. Father, I believe that there's nothing that's going to solve our problems but obedience to Thee. There's nothing going to solve our problems but genuine repentance. And until we come to this truth, Father, I am convinced we're just playing religion. And we're going to, the judgment is going to be an eye opener. And we're going to be so ashamed. It's time for us, Lord, to be sobered by truth. It's time to take Christianity serious. It's time to take God, you, serious. And understand that you don't play, and we'd better stop playing. Playing is something for the hypocrites who tries to straddle the fence. Help us, Lord, not to be that way, but to give ourselves wholly to You. Yes, I know it'll cost us. I know it'll be painful. I know it may be difficult, but bless the Lord. Father, You will be at work in us finally, and You will you will give us a cause. We, we need a cause to... Lord, to come together and hold up the same flag, the same banner. And Lord, the, the banner of Christ. And Father, we need something that's worth living for. And Lord, we're trying to live for the wrong kind of stuff. We ask you to deliver us. Use these truths, Lord, to stir revival in us, please. And I pray for people who are listening by YouTube that you would help them. Those, any churches that's represented there, we pray for them, our sister churches. We beg you that, and, and confess that we all need help that only you can give. Bless now our time together as we fellowship around the table. We pray that we will have a blessed time together. May we all speak something good to one another that would encourage us because we're all, Lord, receiving a swift kick in the pants just about daily in this world. Help us, Lord. May you get glory from us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.